We have been preaching through the Apostles' Creed, which is why we have been speaking it each week. The Creed, as Chris Gorman has said, is a summary of the Christian faith. It's not all that we believe, but it's pretty much the bare minimum of what we believe. It answers the questions. Uh, It answers the question, if someone was to come to you and say, what do you believe? Why are you a Christian? What is the gospel? You would give them something like the Apostles' Creed as an answer. And what we have been doing is kind of broken it up and preached through the different sections. Today, we're going to look at the forgiveness of sins. Now, forgiveness of sins is, um, is one of humanity's greatest needs. Every religion seeks to answer uh, the question, how are we forgiven? Hinduism believes that we need to work off our sin through good works. They also believe there are spiritual rituals and actions. Uh, like we spoke about a couple weeks ago, they will go to the Ganges River, which is incredibly polluted, but they will wash themselves in it as a means of washing their sins and hopefully satisfying the wrath of one of their gods. Islam believes in the five pillars, the profession of faith in Allah, daily prayers, almsgiving, fasting during Ramadan, and a pilgrimage to Mecca. Through the performance of these rituals, they hope to achieve forgiveness. Roman Catholics believe that through the penance and sacraments, and very likely a period of time in purgatory, they can be forgiven and reach heaven. Every religion deals with the forgiveness of sins. Even atheism does. Now, atheists deal with forgiveness by denying God and thus denying the need for forgiveness because if there's no God, there's no one that we're held accountable to. So it's important to understand that all belief systems in some way or another are wrestling with how do we achieve forgiveness. All religions except Christianity believe that it's through man's works that we can be forgiven. This is where Christianity is completely different. Jesus comes so that not through our works, but his works, we can be forgiven. And it's interesting, all these other religions which focus on our works, none of them ever have assurance of their salvation or a state of nirvana, which they're hoping to achieve and reach. But only in Christ do we have this absolute assurance that he gives us. And so what we're going to see today is that when we experience this forgiveness of God, it means that he will no longer remember our sins. And so we're going to be spending some time in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is a book that repeats itself a whole lot. All the way from the beginning to the end, it's Jesus greater, Jesus greater, Jesus greater, Jesus greater, Jesus is greater. That's really the point. And it's looking at the Old Testament and how everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ. So what we're going to see is how the Old Testament prepares us for the work of Jesus, and we're going to see that how Jesus, uh, now that he comes, offers us true, lasting forgiveness. And so one thing that we do here is we stand at the reading of God's Word, so I want to invite you to stand as we read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. We stand because uh, we believe God's Word comes with its full authority, it is inerrant and infallible, and it is for the instructing of, uh, of, and training us in righteousness that we'd become more and more like Christ. So this is a rather lengthy section. Uh, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 18. Chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. 
For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you. And Lord, we understand that forgiveness, forgiveness is, is something we desperately need. We're born in this world sinful. We're born under your wrath. But God, by your grace, you have sent your son, Jesus. And you have sent him as the perfect sacrifice so that he would be the perfect priest, offering himself so that through his one sacrifice, we could be perfectly forgiven. God, I pray that we would understand this truth today. I pray that every single person here who knows you would know that if they have professed faith in you, they are 100% forgiven and you no longer remember their sins Lord, I pray that if anyone does not know you, that they would hear this, the, the teaching of your word and that your spirit would move in them and they would desire this forgiveness of sins, that they would receive the free gift of your son Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers. Lord, we thank you that we do not need to try to perform rituals, that we do not need to try to earn or pay back any type of forgiveness, but it is free through your son Jesus. It is by grace we are saved. God, may this truth not only fill our minds, but may it fill our hearts with joy and peace. In your name, Jesus, amen. Um, We are going to kind of just make our way through this passage. We're going to begin with the point, animal sacrifices under the old covenant were never able to bring about forgiveness of sins. The first thing we see is is that the law, meaning the Old Covenant, was never an end in itself. It was temporary. It pointed forward to something greater. Look at verse 1. For since the law was but a shadow, and it was a shadow of much greater good that was to come into the future. And what the author calls the good things to come, that's Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at what Jesus purchased on the cross namely our forgiveness of sins propitiation the fact that he absorbs god's wrath for us adoption justification sanctification glorification and all the things that come in our salvation 
Now the reason why the law was only a shadow is because of what we read in the rest of verse 1. The sacrifices could not bring about perfection. It says that. It can never, by the same sacrifices that continually offered every year, make perfect. It cannot make us perfect. Animal sacrifices cannot make us clean or bring about forgiveness of sins. Why? Verse 4, the author says, It's impossible for the blood of goats, the blood of bulls, to take away sins. You see, if animal sins could take away our sins then they would no longer need to continually be offered. They would actually cleanse us of our consciousness. But the very fact that they must continually be offered shows the inadequacy of them. That's what we see in verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. The fact that they continually must be made tells us they're not able to actually bring about forgiveness. So what was the point of these sacrifices in the Old Testament if they're not actually able to bring about forgiveness of sins. There's many answers that we could give. The Old Testament sacrifices served as a means for believers to demonstrate their faith. According to Romans 3.25, they were a means in which God held back His wrath until Christ would come. As we already saw, verse 3 says they served as a continual reminder of our sins and our guilt before God. So every time they're bringing these animal sacrifices, they're reminded that we're guilty before God, that we are sinful before God. They also reminded us of our need for God's grace. They showed the costliness of our sin and the necessity of blood to atone for our sins. But what the author wants us to see most is that they were preparing the way for something much greater they're preparing us for jesus so one reason we read the old testament is because it prepares us for jesus so as they've already talked about downstairs they're looking at david and the the problems that he had with saul in the old testament and sometimes when we're reading through the book of samuel or the book of kings or the book of chronicles and we're just seeing king after king after king and we might say what's the point Well, the point is, they show us that these kings, none is righteous. We need a much more righteous king. We need a perfect king to come, who is Christ. Everything in the Old Testament leads us to a knowledge and understanding of our need for Christ. So I want to encourage you as parents, we must know the Old Testament. And I know at times it can feel intimidating. You know, there's 39 books, and they're not necessarily in chronological order. So sometimes we kind of go, man, it's it's hard, but... It's a gift from God to us that we would not only know His character, that we would not only know who we are as as humans, but we would know what God has done for us and is planning to do for us in Jesus Christ. So let us read our Old Testaments. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. And that's what Hebrews is now moving us into as we come into verse 5, which is the next point. Jesus came to establish a new covenant so we could be forgiven of our sins. So the word consequently in verse 5 is the same word as the word therefore. So the author is making this logical argument. So these sacrifices in the Old Testament cannot take away sins. Therefore, Christ came. You see the logic? These don't do it. 
Christ comes, and is what we're going to see, so that he would actually be able to bring about forgiveness of sins. And that's what he wants us to understand how Jesus did that. Jesus comes because animal sacrifices are not able to atone for our sins. In fact, what the Bible says is that we are born in sinfulness. It says that we're conceived in sin. Now when the Bible says that we're born sinful, and it says that all that we do is sin, it doesn't mean that we are as sinful as we can be. We know that because of God's common grace, that we are not all killing people at all times. But it does mean that we do not love God, that we do not please God. In fact, in Romans 8.8, it says that we cannot please God. The Bible says that our hearts are wicked and we're naturally bent on disobeying God's law to love Him and to love others. And it's because of our sin that we're separated from God. And what we also see in the Bible is that it's because of our vertical relationship with God that it's hindered because of sin. So also, all of our horizontal relationships are corrupted because of sin. And we know this. We know that because of sin that uh, we experience pain and guilt and shame in relationship with one another. It's our sin that seeks to corrupt the relationships that we have. It's because of sin that parenting is hard. It's because of sin that marriage is hard. It's because of sin that even in church relationships can be hard. It's because of sin that our relationships at work can be hard. It's because of sin our relationship with our friends can be hard. Especially when one wrongs us. How do we handle that? What do we do at that moment? Sin seeks to damage every single relationship that we have. And so the author now is going to help us understand, so what is it that Christ has done? In the verses 5-7, through seven, he's going to quote Psalm 40. Now Psalm 40 is written by David, and in it he's confessing his desire to worship God not through, not through mere rituals like animal sacrifices, but with his whole life. And the author of Hebrews says that actually, when we read verse 5, that these words are actually Jesus' words. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said. So the author is wanting us to see that the words of David in the Old Testament are actually pointing us forward that these are Jesus' words. And so Jesus is coming and saying, sacrifices and offerings is not what you have desired. Verse 6, we see that actually God takes no pleasure in these sacrifices. And in verse 8, the author basically refers to all types of sacrifices in the Old Testament. If you look at it, he says, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, or sin offerings. So mentioning those four types of sacrifices, he's comprehensively referring to every kind of sacrifice that would be referred to under the Old Covenant. So what we're understanding is Jesus didn't come to offer an animal sacrifice. So how is it then that God can take no pleasure, though, in these sacrifices in which He called Israel to do, right? Because isn't He the one who told Israel to do these sacrifices? In fact, He gave them the law, the Levitical law, which we go to the book of Leviticus, which walks us through all these sacrifices. So if God doesn't take pleasure in them, why did He ever give them to us? So that's where we have to remember the context. That what 
The author has just told us these sacrifices are temporary. And they're meant to merely prepare God's people for something much greater to come. Now, we don't exactly know how much the believers in the Old Testament understood, but when they were bringing these sacrifices forward, they knew that because they did it on a repeated basis, that they didn't actually bring about forgiveness of sins. So in some sense, they knew that this sacrifice pointed to a much greater sacrifice that would one day come. In in Hosea chapter 6, God says, For I desire steadfast love, and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's not these animal sacrifices that ultimately God desires because they don't ultimately provide forgiveness of sins. What he wants us to know is him. And that's only possible what we're going to see is truly through Jesus. What we need to understand though is that because of our sinfulness, we think that we can be saved through rituals and through our actions. This is something that even as Christians we fall into. We think that our church attendance, we think that uh, because we use good language, we think that because of our Bible reading, or because of other things that we might do, that those are a means of meriting our salvation. Those are means of earning or achieving forgiveness of sins. In fact, you'll often hear people say, I don't know why God would do this. I've done all of this. Have you ever heard something like that? Someone will say, I don't know how this person got cancer or whatever it is they were so good they were always in church you see what their thoughts are actually teaching that oh because they were in church these bad things should never have happened because they were earning their salvation our words often are communicating a works-based salvation whether we're actually consciously always aware of that or not But what we hear and see here in Hebrews is that there's no amount of deeds that we can do to make our hearts clean. Our hearts are stained with the blackness of tar. There's no amount of good works that can cleanse them. We can help little old ladies cross the streets all day long, but unless if we're forgiven by God, we're still condemned and held guilty under the wrath of God, which is why Christ came. So the next thing that we see there is Jesus comes, Jesus was given a body so that he would come and do God's will. And what is God's will? Is it a secret? No, if you look at verse 7, it it says that it was written in the scroll of a book. Well, what book? Well, very likely he's referring to the entire Old Testament as it pointed forward to Jesus. Or, in other parts of Hebrew, he's referred to Isaiah 53. So possibly he's referring to that that scripture which many of you know Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering servant who will one day come and stand in behalf of God's people and he will take God's wrath for them so that they could be forgiven and of course that suffering servant is Jesus and he does that on the cross so what we understand is that Jesus came to do God's will which has always been God's will, that even in the Old Testament, these sacrifices would point forward to a greater sacrifice that Jesus would come so that we could actually have forgiveness of sins. And that's what we see in verse 9. In verse 9 we read, Jesus does away with the first in order to establish the second. The words does away with is one word in Greek. And it's a powerful word. It means to abolish, to terminate, and to murder. So what is it that Jesus murdered? What is it he terminated? What is it that he abolished? 
Well, the entire context is the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system that was given. So how does Jesus do away with all animal sacrifices? How does he do away with the priesthood? How does he do away with the temple? Because all of that's the sacrificial system. Verse 10, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So what the author is wanting us to see is that the entire Old Covenant is brought to an end through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now there are some Christians who believe that the Jerusalem temple still needs to be rebuilt, and there needs to be sacrifices once again, and that there needs to be priests that, that would do these sacrifices. But what does this passage teach? It says the entire Old Covenant and its sacrificial system, meaning the temple, the priesthood, has all been done away with. They've been abolished. Remember, they were a shadow of a reality. Now that Christ has come, we no longer need the reality, or we no longer need the shadow. When I was uh, when I was in India, or I was on a plane, and I don't know which one because it was eleven planes that we were on when we were on our trip uh, between India and Thailand. Uh, I opened up, I think it was my phone, it could have been my iPad, but I opened it up and I just started looking at all the pictures of my family. I think it was like on day like 12 or something and we're flying and I was just like, man, I just missed the family. So I'm looking through at all the pictures and I'm going back to like, you know, 2002 uh, or no, no, 2003 when Steph and I first got married and I, I see Ben when he's first born and I see Hannah, then I see when we got Caleb and I'm watching them grow and it's just just flipping through like hundreds of pictures. Um, but you know, when I got home and, and I saw my family, I didn't ignore them and keep looking at the pictures on my phone. That would have been really weird and probably quite rude. But rather, you know, you put down the phone, you put down the iPad, you put down the pictures because now I have the reality with me. Why would I spend time with the pictures when I can spend time with what they point to? Does that make sense? That's what the Old Covenant does as it leads us to Christ. It was pointing us to Christ. Now that Christ has come, He's fulfilled it. He's done all that the Old Covenant, all that the sacrifices, all that the priesthood, all that the temple stood for, so that now in Christ we would enjoy all the benefits. And we don't need to go back to, the back, to, the, to what took place previously. And notice what the result is. We, verse 10, we have been sanctified. With the Old Covenant could not do what the animal sacrifices could not do jesus has done and the word sanctified means to be made holy to be devoted to god it refers to those who are forgiven and in verses 11 to 12 the author reveals the difference between what happened in the old covenant and then what jesus did in the old covenant we read that there's lots of priests and that they were continually standing as they were making sacrifices And they were standing because their work was never done. They didn't have time to sit. They had to keep standing, make animal sacrifices, and then you'd have the next shift of priests come in, and they would make animal sacrifices. Then the next shift would come in, and they would stand to make sacrifices because the job was never done. But then we come to Jesus, verse 12. He offers one sacrifice for all sins, and then He sits down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice Then he sits. So what we understand is Jesus comes as the better priest who offers the better sacrifice himself. And because of this, 
we can be forgiven. Or to say it this way, Jesus is the perfect priest who offered the perfect sacrifice so we can be perfected. That's what the author wants us to know. And that's what, as we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, that's what it's announcing to us. That in Christ, we actually are forgiven of all of our sins. Verse 14, For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's the Gospel. This is why we come each week. And this is what we celebrate. That Jesus came because there was no other means in which we can be forgiven. There's no amount of penance. There's no amount of of sacraments. There's no rituals. There's no anything that we can do to perform in order to erase our sins. The law cannot bring about a relationship with God. No amount of works makes us right before God. The Gospel is about what Jesus has done so we can be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. So the gospel is about doing, or the, the law is about doing, and the gospel is about what Jesus has done. That's the confidence that we have. That's why Jesus never needs to be sacrificed again. Because his sacrifice was perfect, and, it's, and it achieves forgiveness of sins for all time for those who have believed in him. And so how do we receive the amazing gift of forgiveness? We don't earn it, but we receive it by grace through faith. Meaning we trust that Jesus actually is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, and thereby His work alone we are forgiven. To trust in Jesus means that I'm not putting any trust in myself. It means that I know that my works cannot achieve salvation. It means that I I am unable to pay God back for anything. It's I solely trust in Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So if we don't boast in ourselves, who do we boast in? We boast in Jesus. We boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. What He has done there for us. If you're a Christian, if you've believed in Jesus, then you are forgiven of your sins. You're no longer guilty before God. You've been forgiven and adopted into His family. Romans 5.1 says, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that? You have peace. But what does it mean that we've been perfected? What does it mean that we are being sanctified? That's what I I want us to look at here at the end. Verse 14, because of Jesus, it says we've been perfected for all time. So what does that mean? It means we've been justified and declared righteous. It means that the Spirit of God is in us, declaring that we are children of God. It means that we've been wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus so that when God the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of His Son upon us. It means that we're 100% secure with God. It means we have no guilt and no shame before God. Now I think many of us think of forgiveness like probably our credit card bills. We, we paid off each month, but next month comes and I got more to pay, right? We think that, yes, Jesus paid off all of our past sins. Okay, that's great, but... But then I keep making these future sins. So surely i got to 
pay these off. Surely I keep accumulating new debt. But that's a lie that seeks to rob you of the joy of what Christ has done. Jesus, when he died on the cross, remember at that point, all of your sins are future, right? All of them are future. So when Christ dies on the cross, so he pays the price for our past, present, and future sins. So that when we come to know Christ, all sins are forgiven. I hope you know all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Christ. But what does this not mean? It doesn't mean that while we're here on earth that we no longer sin. Look at the last part of verse 14. We who have been perfected are being sanctified. So it means that we are being made perfect. So we are perfect and we're being made perfect. Those are two truths that they also sets side by side with each other. So we are, we are justified, we're declared righteous, we have an eternal, perfect union with Christ now because of His grace that comes to us. Amen, Amen indeed. But now, through our lives here on earth, we're being made more like Christ. That's what happens now. So the, the judge has declared us righteous, and in one sense, we're completely holy with God right now in heaven, seated with Him in the heavenly places. In another sense, we're here where we're working through our sins, being made perfect as we go through trials and life and experience. So these are two truths that He puts next to each other. Many Christians live in the fear. They think that, that they're standing before God is in jeopardy. They think that maybe their faith in Jesus is not enough. That maybe that Jesus does not love them enough because of the things that they have done. They think that peace with God is a fantasy for them, something that they would like to have, but it's just always out of reach. Which is why then we have verse 17, where God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So as we're going through this life, and we're being made perfect, we're being made more like Christ, where we still do struggle with sin, we have this truth that God remembers none of our sins because they've been forgiven in Christ. Now we know that God doesn't actually forget, right? That God's eternal. He possesses all knowledge. If He didn't have all knowledge, He would not be perfect and He would not be all-powerful. So He has all knowledge at all times. He never learns anything. So rather than thinking He just forgets as if it, like we do as we get older, and we don't quite remember what happened. That's kind of like a passive thing, right? Like, we were talking, I was talking to someone about like our 19th, 20th, and 21st birthdays the other day. I don't even remember them. Like, I cannot remember what all that we did during those birthdays. Um, they're just kind of like forgotten now, out of my mind. Now, that's not like an active forgetting. That's just, it's gone. I'm sure, sure we did something, but I have no clue what it was. But God, He's choosing to never again bring up our sins. That's what it means that He forgets them. He says, I see your sins, but now because of Christ, you have Christ's righteousness wrapped around you, and I will never again bring up your sins to you again. 
Because you've been forgiven and you're united with Christ. That's the confidence that we're to have. That's the assurance that we're to have in Christ. Remember, under the old covenant, Israel was continually reminded of their guilt. Verse 3, that's what we saw, because of the repetitiveness. But here in the new covenant, we're reminded of our peace and our forgiveness with God because Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. Never again do these need to be. Never again does there need to be a sacrifice. Um, so I want to spend just a few more moments on what it means to be perfected now. What it means that we're being sanctified. Uh, this morning, what have we been doing? We're looking at God's word. We're studying doctrine. We're studying the truths of God's word as He's given it to us, and it's through this doctrine that the Holy Spirit works in us, that we would know this truth, that we would delight in these truths, and that we would be freed from the bondage of sin, and that we would not believe the lies of sin, lies like we're still guilty before God, even if we believed in Jesus. So that, that's what we're looking at today. That's what we're doing. We're looking at doctrine, God's Word, that's meant to tell us who we are in Christ, that's meant to free us, that's meant to help us live as God has called us to. So I say this uh, because there's, there's a lot of churches today that they're not preaching the truth of God's Word. And so when we have families who are, who are leaving, I always like to remind, when we're going out, we're looking for churches, first and foremost, who are holding this before us. And many of you are military, and one day you may be moving to another place. Above all things, we look, do they bring forth the very Word of God? Many churches are what they're doing is they're serving as a regular diet for their people, six steps to a better marriage, five steps to better parenting, and a step program of just becoming a better person. That's like putting a Band-Aid on a cadaver. It doesn't actually do anything. It provides no benefit. It's the truth of God's Word that gives us life, feeds our souls, and transforms us into the character of Jesus. It's the truth of God's word that breaks the chains of guilt and shame. It's the truth of God's word that sets us free from anxiety and establishes us in the peace of Jesus. Think about it. What have we read this morning? We see that we're all sinners before God and we have no means of obtaining forgiveness. That should cause us to be anxious. That should cause a restlessness within our souls. But then what we see is Jesus, by grace, comes, dies for us, so we can be 100% forgiven. God will never bring your sins up again before you, and now we're made right with God. It's on the basis of knowing that we are forgiven and that God will not bring up any of our sins that we're then called to forgive others. All throughout the New Testament, we read that as Christians, we're called to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. Many of you remember, like Matthew 18. Verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I need to forgive him? So this is like where we live on a daily basis. How many times do I need to forgive this guy? How many times do I need to forgive the Christian? How many times do I forgive my brother? How many times do I forgive my wife? How many times do I forgive my husband? How many times do I forgive my coworker? And I'm sure there's those people that we would say, man, they push a lot and that, you know, they're reaching a limit. But then Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. The whole point is not that we count 490, but the whole point is that we are to be characterized by forgiveness. 
As Christ forgave us, so we will forgive others. But get this. You will not forgive others. You will hold on to people's faults. You will be bitter and angry toward those who hurt you until you understand and you believe and delight in the truth that Jesus has forgiven you. That's the point. This truth that we see, this doctrine that we're understanding, doesn't just stay in our heads and our minds. We go, okay, that's just really nice. There's a logical movement from the Old Testament to New Testament. Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do it. Jesus did. Cool. We're forgiven. It doesn't just stay here, but it's meant to transform our minds and our hearts and our souls so that we would be perfected so that we're being sanctified we're being made more like christ which what that means is that we're demonstrating the character of christ in our lives so when we read a truth like this what we do is we read through it and we're to see how the truth that jesus offers a one perfect sacrifice that provides forgiveness of sins for all time to those who receive him by grace that should remove anxiety That should fill us with gratitude and love and joy. That should fill us with peace. And that should inform us and transform how we then relate with one another. And how we forgive one another. And how we move towards one another in relationship, offering forgiveness. Not because they deserve it, but just like Christ does for us. So then we we offer forgiveness to others. We must understand these truths. Because otherwise, there's, there's people, and you know them, and you might be one of them. You're struggling with anger and bitterness on a regular basis. You're regularly thinking of the person who has hurt you in the past. You're regularly thinking of those who have done things to you this last week. You're never able to move past things. You're constantly bringing to your spouse the list of faults that they've done, maybe even years ago, decades ago. And what we have in Christ is teaching us this forgiveness that he offers and this choosing not to bring up our sins again. Now, we are not perfect. This is not easy for us to do, but through the work of the Spirit, as we come into God's Word, he transforms us so that we would not only know this truth, we'd experience this peace between us and God, but that we would then have this peace amongst us within ourselves. That just as, as the... Mark's testified and others have testified. God's love exists within this body and it is sweet, but sin wants to corrupt that. The way, the means in which we maintain healthy relationships is regular forgiveness with one another. With the regular choosing that we will not bring up our sins to one another. Not because the person has paid off their debt to us, but because of God's grace and our love for one another. But the way we do that is by coming first and foremost into these truths and knowing them ourselves. So what your, what your wife needs, what your husband needs, what your kids need, parents, or kids, what your parents need, what your coworker needs, what your neighbors need, they need the Word of God. That's what they need. What you need first above to serve all of them is not for me to tell you how to forgive people, What we need to see how we are forgiven by God in His Word. That then informs us how we go forth and tell other people. So as we come to this truth, what I want to encourage us is God has made us perfect and He is perfecting us 
through this word. And now we're called to continually come into this word, to, to let this feed our souls, to satisfy us that we would become more and more like Christ, that we would rejoice in the forgiveness that we have, and that out of that rejoicing we forgive one another. What we're going to do now is we're going to take communion, so I'm going to invite the men to come forward. And we're going to take communion. And as we do this, what we're doing is celebrating the very forgiveness that God has given us. As we partake of communion, we take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, that He came because animal sacrifices are not able to do it. So Jesus comes to be the perfect sacrifice. We take the juice, which represents His blood, because the blood of animals was not able to cleanse us, but the blood of Christ is able to cleanse us. So as we take this, let us rejoice in the forgiveness that we have, that God will never again choose to bring up our sins to us. Let us rejoice in that we are now a forgiven people who are now able to forgive one another. And so let me pray, and then we'll pass out the elements. Our Father, Father, we praise you 